0: Amen. So awesome. So uh, Revelation. I want to say Genesis. I don't know, what, but Revelation chapter two. Uh, so we've been plugging away here in the book of Revelation, uh, slowly but, but surely. And so up until this point, we've seen that that Revelation chapter two and three. We see Jesus addressing seven churches in Asia Minor. Again, and, and you know, if you feel like, like I'm repeating myself, you know, I'm doing it intentionally because one of the best ways to learn is is the repetition, repetition, repetition. Right? Some of you guys know that. And so, and so I, I, I want to I wanna just get it firmly established in our heads and our hearts. So though there were more than seven churches in Asia Minor, you know, the, the Lord chose to, wrote, uh, to write to only seven of them. He addressed seven of them. Um, again, not, not that there was only seven churches. There would have been hundreds of churches there in Asia Minor. I mean, just through the book of Acts, we, we read about Paul uh, going to all these house churches you know, and, and all, the, all these churches that were sprouting in the homes. So there, there would have been uh, hundreds of churches by, by this time, which is around 90-something A.D., you know, but, but the Lord is addressing seven specific churches. Again, why? Because that number seven throughout the book of Revelation is symbolic of just God's perfection, a complete work. And then we know that these, that these seven letters would have been circulated through all the churches there, there in Asia Minor and even to us. And so this speaks of just God's uh, perfect, complete work to his church. We mentioned uh, how, how in the beginning of the, of, of, uh, of, of the chapter, we saw how the Lord is addressing the angels of each one of these churches. And that word angels, you know, in Greek is angelos, which just means messenger. You know, we know that there isn't, you know, a, a specific angel that's teaching the Bible at every, at every, at every, uh, by, at every uh, church. But so that word angelos, as it's, as it's referring to a messenger, he's talking to the leaders of that church, which we would call the pastors. You know, so I just think it's amazing that the Lord would, would, uh, would address the leaders of these churches, you know, and, and correct them in, in, in certain areas, uh, exhort them in certain areas, you know, just encourage them in certain areas. And even for us today, you know, the Lord is desiring to encourage, correct us, and exhort us in these areas as well. So we read a couple of Sundays ago um, about the church in Ephesus, which was known as the Loveless Church. And that church is amazing because the Lord, as he was just admonishing them, he's like, man, you guys are doing this, you're doing that, you're, you know, you're on point on this, you're on point on that. You know, if we would bring it to our terms, we'd be like, man, you guys are active, you're doing ministry, you're doing outreaches, you're sharing Jesus, all that. And he says, but I have this one thing against you. And then he says this, he says, this one thing I have against you outweighs anything you've ever done and can ever do. He says, you've left your first love. And he says, apart from, apart from me, and because you left your first love, he says, everything else that you do means nothing, right? And so that was an awesome encouragement for us. And then last week, we, we talked about the church there at Smyrna, and we mentioned how the, word, how the church there at Smyrna was a faithful church. You know, out of those seven churches that the Lord addresses, five of them he has to correct and rebuke. Two of them, he has nothing but just good words for him encouragement. And Smyrna was one of them. Uh, they were known as a persecuted church, they were going through just so much persecution as they were there. in Smyrna, I was talking to Liz, and we remember something that one of our, our Bible teachers said one time. You know, and he said, Uh, hey, if you want to remember what Smyrna was known for, think of the word that's in between myrrh. You know, he says, Smyrna, he said it like that. You know, Smyrna, myrh. Uh, because uh, you know, back in the day, they would use frankincense and myrrh and all kinds of different spices in order to make uh, colognes or, or perfumes or just sweet-smelling oils. You know, they didn't have the Calvin Klein's or the, all these other things that we have. right? So, so, they would, so what they would do is that they would, t- they would take this, this myrrh and they would crush it. They would crush it into, into, into just powder, right? And then to, they, would, they would put it in water, they would boil it, and they would make a, 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 a fragrance out of it. You know? And that was a true testimony that they were just being crushed. And because they were being crushed, you know, this sweet-smelling aroma was coming out of their testimony, so to say, to the Lord. Right. The Lord had nothing but just good things to say about them. He just said, hey, persevere, keep going, right? And so today we're going to cover uh, a third, the third church, which is the church that, at Pergamos. And so we're begin in verse 12 that says, and to the angel of the church in Pergamos, right? He says, these things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. He says, I know your works and where you dwell is where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful servant, or my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. And so we see just in these two few verses, you know, we have the name of Satan mentioned twice. That's unique to, to the rest of the addresses to these churches. But we see that the, that the Lord is addressing now again the church there in the city called Smyrna. I mean, <laughs> Pergamos. I'm all mixed up. All right. And so the, the, the city of Pergamos was a, a city in, in ancient uh, Mysia. The city was noted for its huge libraries at the time, containing more than 200 volumes of, of, uh, of literature, which at that time would have been like huge, right? And so it was, it was known for that. Uh, there were temples of Zeus, Jupiter, uh, uh, Athens, Apollo, and uh, Asculapius. Um, it was noted as a center for like education and culture. So it's like all the brains of the brains would, would, would flock there at, at Pergamus, And you know, it's like all the big thinkers, all the guys who you know, had new ideas, new thoughts, they would flock there at Pergamos, you know, to kind of share thoughts. It was considered like the, like the big shot city of the, of, of the time, right? Like all the educated people, all the cultured people, all the, you know, the somebodies would, would be there at Pergamus. And so we see that along with its many temples that it had, uh, so it was very religious, you know, false religion, but it was very religious. But along with its many uh, temples dedicated to Greek gods, it also had three temples that were specifically dedicated to the Roman emperor. And so not only were they worshiping uh, false Greek gods, but they were worshiping man. You know, and they were worshiping this this uh, whoever it was the emperor at the time. Right now, this is actually hinting. You know, at something that that's something that we're going to read about later on uh, in the book of Revelation. You know, as we believe that the that the Antichrist is going to come out of the revived Roman Empire. You know, and this is kind of hinting hinting at that later on. You know, that that he's going he's going to demand to be worshipped as well. Right, seven years into the tribulation period, halfway through, he's going to go into the temple, defile it, and say, "Hey, man, worship me." But there's just kind of, again, hinting at, at, at the fact that, that this Roman person is going to be worshipped. You know, he's going to have a temple dedicated to him. And so we see also that uh, its most popular temples among all the temples and all the places of worship and all the sanctuaries there in Pergamos, uh, its most popular temple is one dedicated to a god that they knew as, uh, I'm probably butchering this, but it says um, as- Aslepios, or Aslepios. You guys, you get the point, Aslepios. He was actually he was when when they would picture him, uh, you, could, you could find pictures of him you know online Google and they find they found like inscriptions and they found you know uh, uh, ancient hieroglyphics and just you know different moldings and statues of this of this Greek god and he was always pictured holding uh, a snakes, either one big snake or just you know snakes all over him right he was a man just holding snakes now it was uh, there there was a school of medicine there at the temple of Slepios and uh, he was actually known as the god of healing you know so if anybody came to the city they were hurting physically or uh, even spiritually uh, had type, any type of ailment they would go to this temple because they believed that this god Asclepius would would heal them right and so there was actually a school of medicine there at the temple of Asclepius and and people from all over uh, ancient rome all, all over the empire of rome they would go to this temple and what they would do is that, you know, as they would as they would go to this temple they lay on the floor and this temple was covered in snakes you know they would release hundreds of snakes in the temple and the people would, 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 would go to the temple and, and they let the snakes crawl all over them because they believe that, you know, and, and letting one of these snakes crawl all over them, it's like, it's like this God is just is touching them. You know, it's coming down from heaven and it's like the snake touching them is like God Himself touching them, right? This false God, Aslepios. So just some crazy stuff that, that was going on down there, right? Um, and so this is the church that, that the Lord is writing to, you know, here in this city with, with all that as a, as a context. You know, and He says, These things says He who has the sharp two edged sword. Now, what does that mean? Backtrack a little bit to chapter 1. You guys remember there in Revelation chapter 1, uh, verse 16 specifically, as John, you know, it says that, that he all of a sudden he hears the voice of, you know, it sounds like many, like many waters. And he turns around and he sees the vision of the Lord Jesus. You know, he says that his eyes are like flames of fire. And he starts describing everything that he's seen. And one of the things that he says there in Revelation 1, 16 is, it says, he had in his right hand seven stars out of his mouth when a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was like the sun shining and its strength. And so we see that, that, that this was actually describing the sharp words which Jesus is about to speak to these churches. Right? Whenever we read about the, the sharp two edged sword coming out of Jesus' mouth in Revelation, it's symbolic and, it, and it's picturesque of, it, of just the, of the Word of God, you know, of, of His harsh judgment, we, which He is about to pronounce there at this, at this city specifically, and at this church specifically. Interesting that the Bible elsewhere tells us you know, that the Word of God is like a double edged sword. It's like a sharp, double-edged sword. There in Hebrews 4.12, it says, For the word of God is living, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. He says, it's able to pierce even the division of the, soul, of the soul and spirit, and of the joints, and of the bone marrow. He says, it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And so we see that the Bible you know, always describes the word of God as that sharp, double-edged sword. Now these guys are, are going to experience you know, the, the, the sharpness of that sword as the Lord has to rebuke them you know, for what they're doing. And so the whole idea is, you know, what, what the Lord is about to say, you know, it's going to cut him to the core. What he has to say to them is going to cut him to the heart, it's going to cut him to the core of their being. And so he goes on to tell them, again, he says, I know your works, where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Now, interesting that to the seven churches, you know, the Lord begins his address by saying, I know your works, or I know this, or I know, fill in, your blank, fill in the blank, right? But to every one of the churches, he says, I know, I know, I know. Right? That word know there in the Greek is kenosko, which means you know to know by experience, to know by intimacy. It's like he's saying, man, I know everything you guys are going through. I know everything you guys are doing, the good, the bad, the ugly. He says, I know you. He says, I'm I'm, I'm intimately uh, uh, involved in you. He says, I'm into, intimately involved with you. I know what you guys are, are are up to it. And you know, he says, I'm, I see you. So it talks about just this closeness, you know, and we could take comfort of that. Now, we could take comfort of that because <laughs> we could go on through life, you know, not just church on Sunday mornings or church on Wednesday night. But we could go on through life thinking, man, nobody sees me. Nobody cares. Nobody knows what I'm going through. Even if, even if I try to share with somebody, they're not gonna understand. But here you get the, the Lord is speaking to these churches, and He says, "Hey, I know, I know that internal struggle, all things you're going through. He, he says, I know, right? And so in this case, He writes to me, he says, "Hey, I know what you do out. He says, I know your works. And I know that you guys dwell where Satan's throne is. Now uh, we see that Pergamus was the center of the of for worship of many pagan gods. Right? Many, many pagan deities, even this Roman, uh, this Roman Empire, it was a center for, for all kinds of false worship and, and, and in all kinds of ways as it came portrayed. Right? But it was also the worship place of, of again, Roman political figures. And, and so the whole point is that it was just so caught up in, in its idolatry, it was just so caught up in false worship that it became the stronghold for satanic power. That, that's that's what's going on. You know is that it became the stronghold for satanic power because they were just so given over to this idolatry, to just a, a, a satanism, pretty much, right? Satan disguised behind different different types of little Greek gods. And so the, the question is, hey, does, does Satan have any power here on earth, right? You could talk to any different amount of uh, Christians and some have different beliefs and they'll say, no way, you know, we're victorious in Jesus' name and and all that stuff. And that's good, that's good. But but the Bible teaches us that that Satan does, that he actually has has authority here here on earth, right? And so, uh, the, the answer is absolutely. Absolutely, Satan has power here on earth. Um, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Paul, Paul describes uh, Satan, and he calls him the God of this world. God with the liturgy, not big G. He calls him the God of this world. Later on in Ephesians 2.2, 2, he will call him the prince of the power of the air, right, or the atmosphere. Jesus himself there in John 12.1, uh, 12.31 actually, he says, uh, he calls him the ruler of this world. Right? And so, it doesn't mean that Satan has complete power over this world, you know. But 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 he does have some type of authority, some type of power in this in this world. You know, he doesn't have complete power, but um, God has allowed Satan to operate within the boundaries and limitations that, that He has set for him. So Satan has power, but he only has as much power as God's going to let him have. All right? I'm, I'm reminded of the Book of Job. If you guys are familiar with the Book of Job, right? It starts off with uh, with Satan running to and through the the whole earth. And, and, and God catches God them, catches He says, what are you doing, Satan? And he says, are you running around the world? And he says, yeah. He says, I've been running to him for the whole earth. And he says, have you noticed my servant Job? He says, yeah, I've noticed your servant Job. He says, and God says, hey, he's faithful, right? He's faithful. He's righteous. He's a good, a good guy. He's a stand-up guy. He's all this, all that. And so what does Satan say? He says, yeah, but he's only good because you keep blessing him. And then he goes on to petition the Lord. Satan does. Satan petitions the Lord. He says, hey, let, let me just mess with him. Let me mess with him. And watch, you'll see that he only serves you because you're giving him all these awesome things." And what, is, what did God say to him? He's like, all right. He says, you know, go ahead. He says, but you can't touch his life. Right? And so we see that God put limitations on Satan you know, and on things that he can do. And so today, I mean, I could just imagine how the world would be you know, if there were no limitations on Satan. I mean, you think all the stuff that's going on right now, right? And all stuff that goes on behind closed doors and things that we wouldn't even hear about or know about. And, and, that's, and that's Satan having their you own know, limited power, limited control, limited authority here on Earth. You know, I can imagine how it will be when 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 he has just absolutely free reign, and we see that actually going to happen during the seven the seven year tribulation period, but uh, we see also that so that tells us you know that it is possible that, that a specific place can be so given over to to satanic practices that it becomes a stronghold for the devil, right? And Pergamus was just one of those places. Uh, it's a place that the Lord is writing to, and it was they were just given over completely to to to, to, uh, to idolatry, to just satanic stuff, right? I remember a few years ago when we were in Colombia, uh, 2018, I believe, when you went, in, in 2018. So we were out there in Colombia and uh, we're, we're sharing Jesus to, to this, uh, this indigenous tribe that's like way off to the outskirts. Uh, they're called the Siquanis and they spoke even a different dialect, you know. And I remember we went there and they live hardcore, like, man, four walls and a dirt floor type of thing, you know, and we slept on hammocks and it was pretty hardcore. It was cool. But I remember when we went there, uh, I remember we slept outside, and I remember just being tormented all that night. I remember uh, you know, the boys slept on one side, on the hamm- and they're on our hammocks. The girls set up their hammocks on the other side. You know, they were actually under the, under the, the, the roof, um, which was actually just like a four plywoods. You know, so we set up our hammock over here. I remember that night, man, I couldn't sleep. Uh, it's like I, I couldn't even close my eyes because I felt like everything was just spinning. I would open my eyes, I'd see crazy colors. I thought I was like, hallucinating. I was like, man, I'm tripping right now what I eat, right? I kept on hearing noises. I kept on hearing something run through the bushes. I'm like, man, I'm just terrified, you know? And, and um, I, 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 I wanted to reach out to somebody and ask for prayer, but I just I couldn't even leave the hammock, and you know, I was like so terrified. So I just stayed up. I just stayed up like this, you know, until the sun came up. And uh, I remember the next morning, I talked to everyone else. I'm like, hey, man, I couldn't sleep like last night. This, that, and the other. And uh, some of the other guys are like, hey, man, me too. And I was like, I saw this. I saw. It. I heard that. And they're like, hey, me too. Me too. Then we'll go talk to Liz, and she's like, hey, man. She's like, she's like, she's like that's it? She's like, man, I, she's like, I felt somebody shaking my time. I'm like, dude, are you serious? And so <laughs> we're just tripping out, like, man, that's crazy. I remember then we went out to go uh, you know, hut to hut and just share Jesus, knocking on the doors, so and you could just feel like this heaviness as we are walking through it, and you're walking through like a thick cloud. It just, there was just something there, you feel something, you know? And later on, we found out that that, 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 the little, uh, that the little town, right, that, the little, uh, um, that little area was was wholly given over to, to witchcraft, to a lot of just the occult practices. They were doing some kind of some, some heavy, dark stuff. You know, we're like, oh, that's crazy. You know, we felt it. We didn't even know about it. You know, we felt it. We went there just joyous, you know, just trying to share Jesus, but we felt it afterwards. And so we see that that it is possible you know, for a specific place to be just so given over to, to satanic you know, uh, activity that, that it just becomes a stronghold for the devil. Now, uh, it's not to say that God can't do anything, cause Even there, I mean, we're knocking door to door and we had so many awesome encounters, you know, and, you know, uh, talking to guys and sharing Jesus with them. And seeing people just, man, you know, coming in tears because, you know, they've never, they didn't know, you know, the, the forgiveness that God can offer them. So in the midst of all that, you know, God was working. And so we see the Lord, you know, he's addressing this church there at Pergamos, right? And then he gives them an exhortation. And he says, hey, you guys, hold fast to my name. He says, you hold fast to my name, and you didn't deny me. because even in the days of Antipas you know, being martyred. He says, Antipas, my martyr, he actually calls him. You know, he says, and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr. I missed that word, my faithful martyr. That's heavy. So the Lord called this guy, Antipas, my faithful martyr. Now, again, a martyr is somebody who is, who, who is killed for their beliefs you know, speaking in Christian terms, you know, specifically killed for their Christian beliefs, and so the Lord is saying, hey man, look, you guys, you held fast to the faith, you didn't even waver, not even when, when, uh, when Antipas, my faithful martyr, was, was being killed, you know, and so the question is, you know, who was Antipas? I don't know, <laughs> nobody knows, you wouldn't know, we actually don't know anything about this guy Antipas, you know, I think that's crazy because the, the, the Bible and even just um, extra, extra, extra biblical information, you know, historical books, uh, uh, just uh, church history books ch- uh, church history writings they give us so much information about other you know faithful mar- martyrs other men and women of god who just died hardcore for their faith for their faith in god you know went out just you know never denying the lord you know we have so many instances of this last week we were talking about polycarp you know who was a disciple of of, of the apostle john you know and how and how he was uh, how he was born there there in smyrna right and so we have so much information about all these other faithful martyrs to the lord but yeah, here's this guy Polycarp that the Lord Himself is bringing him up. He calls him my faithful martyr, you know, uh, my faithful martyr Antipas, you know, who was martyred. But yeah, we don't know anything about him. I think you know, as I was reading that, I was trying to look up. I'm looking at my encyclopedia. I'm looking up at my, my Word Dictionary. I'm like, man, who is this guy? Right? I'm trying to. I see everyone's kind of has like their little opinions about him, but nothing. Everything is just kind of you know, uh, 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 opinion. My like, man, there's really is no, no information on this guy Antipas. Yeah, I really wanted to know who he was. And then instead of me just kind of break my head and trying to find out who he was, instead the Lord encouraged me. Why? Because what does, that, what does that speak to us? Man, you could be faithfully serving the Lord wherever the Lord has you at and think, Man, we're not making no type of significant impact for the Lord, right? My name's not in the magazines, on the TVs. You know, I'm not one of those guys that gets invited or, or, or girls who get invited to speak at these events or whatever, right? No one's buying my books. No one's, whatever, you could, you could fill in the blank. But we could feel so insignificant in our, in our work for the Lord, thinking, man, I'm just here coming Sunday mornings to you know little church in little city, little town, little state, whatever. Just go unnoticed, and, and that's it. And maybe you will. You know, maybe the truth is you do go unnoticed in the world's eyes. But here's this guy, Antipas, who we don't know anything about except for that the Lord himself calls him my faithful martyr. All right, that's a heavy title to have. You know, and, and I would love to have that title you know, for the Lord. Hey, my faithful servant, angel. My faithful servant, you put in your name. Right? It doesn't matter what you get noticed for, what you get recognized for, what you get you know a thumbs up or a, a little you know, star next to your name for. And As long as the Lord knows your faithfulness, he knows your name, that's all that matters. right? And for us as Christians, that's what we strive for. Uh, we strive to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's it. Right? We don't do things for the applause of men. We don't do things to you know check off our, our, our box for the week. No, we do that for that so we can hear the words of our Lord say, hey, well done, my good and faithful servant, at the end of this race. That's all that matters. And so I was super encouraged by this guy, uh, Antipas, who we know nothing about. Because the Lord knew everything about him. And that's it. You know, and, that, and that's all that matters, right? He calls him my faithful servant. Amazing. Amazing. So it goes on to say there, verse 14, he says, But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things, sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. And verse 15 says, Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, of things of which I hate. And then he says, Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. You know, talking about his word, his judgment, his word of judgment. And so he tells them, you know, he tells them, I have a few things against you. One of those things is that you have those there who hold the doctrine of Balaam, and so he mentions Balaam, he mentions Balak, and uh, and he mentions you know that, that they put a stumbling block between between uh between uh, for Israel, right? And so who is Balaam and who is Balak? The Bible talks about these guys. Uh, they're in the Old Testament in the Book of Numbers, uh, Numbers 22 through 24, and then we have a mention of them again in chapter 31, I believe, of just Balaam. And so Balaam was pretty much you could describe him as a prophet for hire, right? He was a prophet of God. He heard from God, but he was in it for the money. You know, it's, uh, he was in it, he was, he was for hire, right? He was, he was a hireling, we would call him. And so we see that, that, that Balak there in the Old Testament, Numbers 22 through 24. I'm not going to read it, but you could read the story later on uh, 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 on your own. And so Balaam was a prophet for hire, and then Balak was actually the king of a people group known as the Moabites. And this is this is at the time that the children of Israel were were were, were exiting from Jesus, I mean from from, uh, from Egypt, right? And so as they were leaving Egypt, they were wandering through the desert on their way to the Promised Land, and of course they encountered many different difficulties. Uh, different nations came up against them and wanted to just and wanted to mess with them. You know they would they would they would target the all, uh, all the weak ones that were straggling behind and and take their possessions, kill them, take their women, take their kids. So they were targeting them. You know they were targeting the, the weak ones of Israel. And so we see that the Lord gave him a great victory against all those nations that were coming up against them. You know the Malachites, all these different other nations. And so when the king of when the king of Moab, uh, uh, Balak, saw that that the nation of Israel was coming, like kind of towards his his area, uh, he got scared. He got scared. He's like, man, they come this way. You know, they're gonna they're gonna they're they're gonna do it with us. You know, they're gonna they're gonna take us over. And so he hired Balaam to come and prophesy, uh, cursings against the nation of Israel. And so Balaam, uh, he offered, he, he, he took him up on the offer, you know, of course he wanted the money, he went over to Balak, but he gave him a, a, a warning, he's like, he's like, look man, I'm going to give you a warning, he says, I'll go over there, he says, I'll prophesy, you know, uh, I'll curse him if you want, he says, but I can't do anything, you know, against the Lord, right? So that means, like, if the Lord wants to bless him, then I can't curse him, you know, because that's to God. And so we see that he was a legit, a legit prophet. And so this guy goes up finally to Balak, you know, and, and Balak says, all right, curse the, curse the people of Israel, you know, curse, curse the nation. And four times, I believe, you know, Balaam goes up to the Lord and, and trying to curse Israel, but instead, God blesses Israel. You know, and that's all he could do. And so this guy Balaam gets really mad at Balaam. He says, "Hey man, I hired you. You know, I paid you this much money to curse Israel, and you won't do it." And he like, "What's up with that, man?" He says, "I can't do it for nothing. You know, instead of cursing them, you're blessing them. You're blessing my enemies." And so this guy Balaam is like, "Hey man, I'm, I'm," he says, "I'm, I'm gonna, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm stuck right now. He says, I can't do anything. You know, he says, I'm trying to curse them, but God wants to bless them." No, so I can't do anything about that. And so he advises the king of Moab, Balak, and he says, this, he says look, I can't curse him. I can't bring this, this, this curse upon him, but I'll tell you how you could get them to curse themselves. And then this, this prophet, you know, goes on to tell Balak, look, man, uh, these guys, you know, they're, they're set apart for God. They're not supposed to intermingle with the other nations. He says, if you if you get all, all, your, all your beautiful women to go, you know, in front of all the men, you could entice them, you know, they're going to fall into sexual immorality. You can get them to worship your false gods, and, and God's going to curse them himself because of what they did. And so this guy, you know, he advises Balak onto how to pretty much, you know, infiltrate the nation of Israel and get them to sin, to sin against themselves and against God. You know, and, and so this is what, what Jesus is bringing up now in the New Testament, you know, to this church at Pergamus. He's saying, look, man, you have there within the church, and he's talking to the church now. He says, you have there within the church those who hold the doctrine of Balaam uh, who, are, who are teaching you know, sexual immorality and who are being a stumbling block to others. Right? They're, 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 they're teaching sexual immorality and they're, and they're teaching idolatry and they're practicing these things within the church. So that's heavy. Man, that's heavy. So the church at Pergamos, you know, they, though they had held fast to the faith, uh, it says that they were too tolerant of these false doctrines. He says, hey man, this thing crept in the church, and you guys are just letting it go. He says, you're letting it just grow in the church and 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 affect you know whoever it will. You're not putting a stop to it. You're not putting an end to it. You're not addressing it, right? And we see that. I mean, the church for for the, for the most part, you know, here in our day, is divided. You know, it's it's been sadly to say, you know, it's been infiltrated by a lot of false doctrine. Um, I think you know, uh, pastors from the pulpit haven't done their their their, their job to their due job to, to defend, you know, the, the sound doctrine of the Bible, to just, just defend the sound doctrine of the faith, you know, and to teach a uh, solid uh, Bible from the pulpit, right? And as a result, people are just giving over to just whatever wind of doctrine, right? And so that's the church that, that we live in today. I mean, that's the time that we live in today. Um, we see that, the, again, the Pergamus they, they allow these guys to come in with their false doctrine, specifically uh, concerning sexual immorality and, and idolatry. And, and the church did nothing to stop it. And so God is addressing the pastor of this church and he's saying, look, man, you got to put an end to this or you got to repent. Or else he says, I'm coming quick, man, with judgment. Right? And so he says that they allowed these false teachings in their church. Um, these are things that, again, that were going on in the, in the world, but it had creeped into the church and they never corrected it. And so he says again there in verse 16, it says, repent or else I will come to you quickly and I will fight against them with my sword of my mouth with this judgment. Right? He says... He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give him some of the hidden manna to eat and I will give him a white stone and on the other stone a new name written which no one knows except him who receives it. And so we see now his warning to them. His warning to them is like, hey man, repent of this. You gotta change this. You can't let this, keep, you can't let this continue there going on there in the church. And so we see uh, that, that God is zealous for his word. God is zealous for his word. He cares that 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 the that we would be uh, diligent to study and to know the Bible, right? To know what it teaches, to know what it, and to not stray from it to the left or to the right. So much so that he would tell you that, "Hey man, you guys got to repent because you guys are, you're you're letting false doctrine and you know go on in the church. You guys got to repent to that." Yeah, and so we see that God is God is deeply involved. He is deeply he cares that 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 we would be as believers, you know, built up and taught in and sound doctrine. Now. You might be asking, "What does do- doctrine mean?" Right? I know we throw that ar- around a lot, you know, within Christianity, and we throw that word a lot. I know I throw that a lot, you know. And so, doctrine—definition of doctrine—is literally just a teaching or an instruction. So you can have, you know, your own doctrine concerning philosophy. You can have your own doctrine concerning politics. You can have your own doctrine concerning education. You can have your own doctrine concerning whatever area of expertise you want. You want to dive deep, deep into, but when it comes to Biblical doctrine. Biblical doctrine teaches us the nature and the character of God. It helps us to understand the will of God for our lives. Salvation helps helps us to understand instructions for the church. And it's the biblical worldview through which we govern our lives. So it should be based on Scripture alone. right? We should base our doctrine, or we should base our our understanding of who God is and how we we view the world uh, based on what the Scripture says of who God is. I was talking to my brother-in-law yesterday. we were over there at his house, and we we're just talking about just just different things, right? It was just man, it was like one of those popcorn conversations. What about this? What about that? What about? This? It was a good, edifying, edifying uh, uh, time, you know. And we were mentioning how, for the most part of the church today, you know, um, most of, we We're talking about deception, right? How 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 people could be deceived. You know, one day they're walking with the Lord. The next day, you you see them, they're like man, they're like way off over there. You know, they were like right on the path, you know, serving the Lord, walking with them. Next thing you know, they're like pff, way on left field. You think, man, what happened to him, right? And we were mentioning how, for the most part, you know, it's because the Church of, 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 of America, you're right, Western Christi- uh, Christianity has failed to teach solid biblical doctrine, has failed to teach the Bible you know, uh, uh, in, in a way that people can understand and apply it to their lives. Um, for the most part, what we hear about in the church is just this, um, this move in the church called postmodernism, right, where people are just chasing experiences. And you hear this thrown out a lot, hey, experience God a relationship, experience Jesus, experience the Bible. And you, you got to be careful when a, when a church puts too much emphasis on the experience, right? Because the experience is, is, not, is not concrete. It's not, it's not um, absolute, right? Experience is, is, is unique to every individual. So if five of us here go to that church and, and you know, I felt, I felt tingly, uh, she felt cold, he felt warm, and, and this guy felt <laughs> bloated, I don't know. You know it's a, who's to say who felt God? Right? Can I say, I felt God because I felt this way? And he says, no, I felt God because I felt that way. Or oh, I felt God because I felt like this. And so whose experience is right? right? And that's the problem when, when, when we get to, to this you know, experience approach of, of, of knowing God is that, hey man, your, your experience is going to define who God is instead of letting the Bible, define who God is. And that way, man, you have, you're left with like five, six type, different types of gods and different types of ways to, entound, to encounter God and to know God. Right? And so that's why it's important to teach the Bible to know the Bible, to study the Bible and to uh, establish and firmly uh, build upon our knowledge of the Bible and, and who God who the Bible says that God is right And so we see that that, that God is, is deeply uh, concerned about that. He's involved with that and, and it, to him it's important so to us it should be important. I like what, what Paul writes there in uh, the book of Ephesus as, as, he's, as he's addressing this young pastor Timothy, you know he tells him in Ephesians I mean Ephesians 4:14. He says that we shall no longer be like children, tossed, you know, one way to the other, and carried away, and being carried away with uh, every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. He tells them elsewhere in 1 Timothy 4:13. He says, "Until I come, Timothy," he says, "give yourself wholly to the reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to doctrine." He tells them in 2 Timothy 4:24. 4, 4, he says. Uh, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort, with all long suffering and teaching. He says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. All right? he says, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they're going to heap up for themselves false teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Now, this is the day and age that we're living in, man, that people don't want to hear truth spoken. They don't want to hear truth you know, being preached, and they don't want to be here, uh, especially if they don't want to hear the truth of the Bible being preached. That's, you know, that's all these other things labeled as hate speech, it's labeled as all these other negative things, right? But we see that, we're, that we as Christians are to allow the word of God to dictate what our, our, what our worldview is, because the word of God is truth. There's only one truth. Jesus, as he was praying for his disciples there in John 17, he says, Lord, sanctify them by your truth, meaning set them apart by your truth, and then he says, your word is truth. And it's the only truth. It's absolute truth. And so for us, um, for us as Christians, we want to be careful to study God's word and to know it well. I mean, if the Lord went to the extent to rebuke this whole church because they had allowed false doctrine to, to creep into the church, I think we should make it a point to, you know, to, to build ourselves up in sound doctrine so that we can detect it whenever it comes up. Right Now we need to be firmly rooted and grounded in the truth so that we can spot the false when it comes in. In the conversation we had yesterday, you know, as, I'm, as I'm, uh, my brother in law was like, hey, well, how come we don't just teach all the false teachings that are out there, you know, so that people can know what's out there? Like, I told him, dude, we'd be, we'd be doing this, you know, all day and night, man. There's so much false teaching out there, right? So instead of focusing on the false, we want to focus on what's true and teach the truth so that we can allow that to filter, you know, what we see and, and, and all that to, 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 to tell us what's false, right? You know the truth, you can detect the false, right? If you know the false, you can detect other falses. If you know the truth, you can detect the false. And so, uh, for us, um, again, we're called to just uh, know the word, study the word, you know, live by the word. And then the promise. We see that the Lord gives them a promise. here you know, In this church, he says, hey, he said, if you guys repent, if you guys hold fast to this, the promise for the believer who strives to live by God's truth and rejects the false, he says, I will give you some of that hidden manna to eat. Now, what's he talking about? You know, when he refers to manna, he's talking about there in the, in the Old Testament, uh, in the book of Exodus and, 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 and Numbers. Deuteronomy also actually, you know, as the children of Israel were out there wandering in the wilderness, in the desert, you know, they didn't have time to, to, to go and make, make, and make food and go to the grocery store or anything like that, right? And so we're told that the Lord would feed them himself, with that this manna would fall from heaven every single day, every, and every single morning they were to go out and they were to pick just enough of, of the food that they needed for that day, and that's it, you know, they, didn't, they couldn't pick some for the next day except for before the Sabbath day, they had to just pick what they what they needed for that day. And, and the Lord Himself would feed them directly. Right? Eventually they got tired of this. Like, man, we want some meat. We're tired of eating vegetables. We want meat. You know, but we see that the Lord fed them. And so the Lord promised to to the church here who 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 perseveres and who and to, who who uh, overcomes this, this false teaching you know, within the church. He says, Look, I'm gonna give you some of that hidden manna, you know, so like that hidden food that I have for you. He says, Me myself, he says, I'll I'll feed you spiritually, I'll feed you personally, right? And so we see that God wants to meet us. In our personal time with Him in the Word. But so many never even make it that far. Like God wants to meet us in the Word. He wants to give us some of that hidden manna, that hidden uh, uh, nutrition, right? That only comes through the study and the, and the reading of His Word. But it's, it's such a battle to just even get there, right? To even get to a point where, like, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to read the Word, I'm going to see what God has for me. But he, ha- he does have something for us. Interesting that the Lord promises. You know, Jesus promises that, that for the believers, uh, we have the Holy Spirit as our own personal tutor, as our own personal teacher. So be, don't be, don't let that keep you from, from reading the word. Saying, oh, "I've never read the whole Bible. I don't understand it. I won't understand it." The Lord told us, told us there in John 14:26. He says, "But the Helper, uh, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send, whom the Father will send in my name, is He will teach you all things, and He will bring to your remembrance all things which I said to you." And so awesome that we have the Holy Spirit as our own personal teacher in the Scriptures. Right, that's like the best help we could ever have. And He goes on to tell me. Not only that, but he says, I'm going to give him a white stone with a new name written on it. And now there's a lot of, you know, questions like, what does that mean? You know, I'm going to give him a white stone with a name, like, what is it, like a souvenir or what? Right. And so uh, in ancient Rome, in ancient Rome, uh, this stone was often given to a person as a sign of a contract that was made between two people. You know, if I make a deal with Liz, all right, man, that's it. it's set in stone, right? It's, it's our own contract. We're, made, we're making a deal. Here, I'm going to here's this stone, I'm going to write your name on it, I'm going to give it to you, and this is proof of the contract that we made. If I try to say, no way, man, I never talked to her, I know her. Say, oh, look, here's a stone, here my name on it, that's it. I'm part of that contract, right? And so it was also used as a, as a, as a form of a reservation. Um, if you got invited to I mean, a big old event or something, you know, instead, instead of giving you a card in the mail with a you know, nice, nice phrase on it or whatever, it, it would be a, a stone, a white stone with your name on it saying, all right, look, man, you're invited, here's your reservation, you know, uh, you need this or else you can't come in, and so this would be a, a, a stone of reservation as well, and so, prom- and so Jesus is promising the believers, um, he's promising the, the believers, you know, he's saying to them, hey, look, to the person who overcomes in this area, he's like, me, you're going to have something special, you know, it's like he's saying, uh, you know, we're making a special deal, you know, that no one else will know except me and you, and I love that because that's what the Lord does in our, in our alone time with them, as you're in the world with them, you spending time with them, right? And you're just it's just you and him, you him and the word. That like the Lord speaks to your heart things that he couldn't speak to you in a group setting or, you know, maybe if you're with someone else, even if you're married, you know, he'll speak to you things personally that he wants to tell you alone, you know, apart from your spouse. Like he wants to minister to you alone, right? And so that's what the Lord is saying. He said, look, man, he says, Let me just do this. We're going to have something special, right? like a special deal between us that no one knows except us, right? And so with that, um, just an encouragement, encouragement for, for all of us uh, this morning, as we prepare our hearts to, to take communion. Um, my encouragement to us this morning you know, is like the Church of Pergamos, that encouragement to them was hey, be students of the word, study it carefully, know it believe it, hold fast to it, don't waver to the left or to the right from it. Again, if it was so important that the Lord would have to address it and say, look man, if you don't change this I'm going to have to bring judgment upon you, you know, with my harsh words man, then we should take note of that and, and kind of you know, maybe apply to us today, so it won't get to that point, right? And so we said, God's desire for us is that we would be built up in His Word and in the knowledge of Him through His Word. Amen? Amen. Awesome. I want to take communion with you guys this morning. You know, most churches we do it uh, the first Sunday of the month, and today's that day. Really, you could do it any time, man. You could do it seven days a week if you wanted to. You know, but but, but we we like we like doing it today. Can, can, you pass it, can you pass it down, bro? Thank you. And so again, um, communion is just a form of remembering what the Lord